Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Today we celebrate uh, the uh, mystery of our faith. Uh, to quote the great Athanasius Creed, that God is three persons in one divine being and one divine being in three persons, never confusing the persons or dividing the being. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity um, is a complete and total non-negotiable for us as Christians. Uh, Whether you are Orthodox, whether you are Catholic, whether you are Protestant, whether you are Pentecostal, Whatever stripe of Christian you may be, um, we may have a lot of differences, but this is one of those doctrines where we all agree and land the plane on. However, a lot of times, we can't wrap our mind around this profound doctrine, and we're like, well, what does this have to say to everyday life? And the Holy Trinity, I believe, speaks uh, into our current situation today in a very, very profound way. And today I want to talk to you specifically about the God who's created you. I want to talk to you today about the God who has redeemed you. And I want to talk to you today about the God who has formed you and created you in his image and has redeemed that image by, his, by baptism and is now sending you forth into the world in service of your neighbor. Now, as I like to say, the Trinity is not explicit in the scriptures. However, it is implicit. And it's implicit beginning right here in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. Christians have always interpreted Genesis chapter 1 through the lens of the Trinity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God used here is Elohim, which is plural. And yet, there is but one God. And we see the Spirit of God, the breath of God. A lot of preachers like to use the Hebrew word here at this moment with a real guttural ruach. But anyway, I'm not going to do that. I just did. But anyway, um, you know, we see the Spirit of God brooding, hovering over creation. The image there is like a mother hen. And then the word is there too, whom St. John in his gospel in the first chapter identifies as the Son of God, Jesus. And so you might say that the entire work of creation is from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Now, our reading from the book of Genesis today, and I flushed that out in our series, Jesus in the Old Testament. That's the very first lesson. If you want to hear an in-depth teaching on that, I recommend you go to our series and find that. But the reading from the book of Genesis was never intended to take on our modernist debate of creation versus evolution, or should I say evolution, but uh, just kidding. But uh, the, the point is, is that our reading from Genesis, this part of Genesis, Genesis 1 into part chapter 2, functions as a prologue, not only to the entire book of Genesis, but it functions as a prologue to the entire Bible as well. You see, the tribes of the Near East, like all pagans, believed in a plethora of gods. 
And they all had limits of power and morality, and they typically were conveyed and took on the form of animals, sea creatures, the sun and the moon. Remember what I talked about last week in my Pentecost sermon. The history of human religion is taking ordinary things and giving them distance. This is what the pagan tribes were doing. And so what the author here is doing, and we're going to stick with the tradition, we're going to say he's Moses, what the author here is doing is very polemical. What he is saying is, is that all of these things that you people worship, well, they're just ultimately part of the creation. There is actually only one God. This was completely radical. There is only one God. He is unique in the fact that he is all-powerful, and he's not capricious. He creates with a purpose, and that purpose is always good. And in that good creation, he has established order. If you read this text closely, there are ten divine commands which result in eight acts of creation. Again, we see here the pinnacle of that creation. The triune God speaks. And he says, let us make man in our image. Like the persons of the Trinity, man is made for relationship. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them to be fruitful. And it was very good. Humankind is the pinnacle of creation. Created in the image of God. Male in the image of God. Female in the image of God. Two distinct ways of being made in the image of God. Reflecting God's diversity. But the implication here is, is that humans, as the pinnacle of God's creation, as stewards of God's creation, are expected to act in a way that reflects God's good and purposeful image. And this is my first point. The triune God is the creator of the world. And more specifically, the triune God is your creator. What Moses is doing here in chapters 1 and the early part of chapter 2, as a matter of fact, through the rest of chapter 2, what Moses is doing is demonstrating that everything that exists is a direct result of the creating work of God. And as Christians, we read implied into that order the creative act of the Holy Trinity— The love of the Father, the wisdom of the Son, the life of the Spirit. And humankind created in his image is to reflect that good order over, in, and throughout the whole world. However, as another week has demonstrated in this country, we are so far off the mark of God's mandate for creation. And we read why in Genesis chapter 3. What we are experiencing is not a new problem. This goes all the way back to the beginning. Because you see in the creation story, Moses is honest about us. 
And from the beginning, humankind has never been satisfied with just being image bearers. We've never been satisfied with receiving everything from God as pure gift. And then stewarding that gift for the benefit of all creation. Rather, instead, we long to be gods ourselves. And in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, sin and death come into the world and life begins to completely unravel in every aspect of creation, especially in the ways we relate to one another. And everyone is affected by this. You are not born neutral. As St. Paul writes in Romans, quoting the prophets, there is no one righteous, no, not one. And when you continue to read through the book of Genesis, you see this. The first murder occurs in chapter 4. By the time you get to chapter 6, we're only two chapters in, things are so screwed up that actually God observes It says that the wickedness of humanity is great on the earth and that every intention of their heart is continually evil. This is what we're experiencing. This is so much more than just like a bad hair day. What we are observing in our country and around the world is that sin destroys the harmony And the rhythm of creation. And sin is really at its root our desire to be God. And run the show. And all creation groans as a result of this. I mean, if you look. If you look with the lens of spiritual eyes. You will see that the problem with those police officers in Minneapolis wasn't power per se. It's what a lot of people are talking about. It wasn't power. Rather, what power did was expose the heart of these officers, including Derek Chauvin, as he killed George Floyd. And what power exposed was that in a moment, Chauvin thought that he was like God. The truth is, And this is what we've got to start coming to realize. Is that the truth is, is that we are completely incapable of saving the world. We can't save it socially. We can't save it politically. We can't save it environmentally. We can't save it relationally. And we can't save it because we are not God. This is my second point. The triune God is the only Savior and Redeemer of the world. You are not God. And you did not create the world. Therefore, you cannot save it. However, the gospel tells us that Jesus fully man and fully God, has by his death and resurrection already saved the world. And more importantly, has already saved you.
And in his resurrection, he has, as the first fruits, brought forth from the grave, as a, brought forth from the grave, a redeemed and new creation. And as we celebrated last week on Pentecost, he has poured out his Holy Spirit on this earth as a deposit on that new creation. And that deposit now moves through his church for the preaching of the gospel, which calls all to repentance and to believe in the name of Jesus for salvation. For that's the power of God unto salvation. And thank God for that. Because make no doubt about it. And you and I have all experienced the vice grip this week. We are in the midst, as St. Paul says, not of a battle of the flesh. If you're still thinking this is about flesh, you're naive. This is a spiritual battle. And one of the things that the devil does is he uses the law to accuse and condemn. And everywhere one turns, the law right now is at its highest pitch. Stay inside. Wear a mask. Don't touch your face. Why aren't you outside protesting? Are you being sensitive enough? Are you being too sensitive? Are you saying too much? Have you not said enough? Have you done enough? Are you getting too political? In the midst of all of this, especially as we move into the next half of 2020 with an election, I mean, I have a feeling we are nowhere near being out of the crazy woods yet. In the midst of all of this, including the unrest, there is a real question right now of authority being posed out there by people. Can we trust any authority? Jesus says in our gospel reading, all authority has been given unto me. That's the most important part of the Great Commission. Not go, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That becomes the thrust by which you go anywhere. And the key word in that statement is all. So if all authority has been given to Jesus, guess what, Christian? We can drop our perceived notions of authority, which is our attempts to be like God which creates all of these forms of division, even the best intentions within our society, within our families, and even within ourselves. And you can leave your sense of authority right where it belongs, at the foot of the cross. Following our God's example, who gave up all of his authority first. He freely laid it down to the point of death in order that it might be taken up again. And not just for himself, but for the whole world. He took it up again for the purpose 
of pouring himself out now through the spirit in our lives to sanctify us and form us into the image of Jesus as agents of his peace in the lives of our neighbors. To paraphrase our Eucharistic prayer in the Book of Common Prayer, remembering his death and proclaiming his resurrection, we now offer our bodies and our souls to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. And this is my third point. The triune God is forming you. The triune God is forming you into his image to send you forth in service of your neighbor. In the midst of all of this pandemic, racism, injustice, politics. Rest in the fact that none of this is catching God off guard. And all authority has been given unto Jesus And by that authority, your life is not your own. That's what we confess as Christians. Rather, your life now belongs to God, and it is is his and hidden in his Trinitarian love. And Christ, now by his Spirit, has authorized his church, you and me, as disciples, to bear each other's burdens, especially the burdens of the least of these in our society, and to be a reflection of his ordered goodness, where there's no more Jew or Greek, free or slave, male or female. But now all are one in Christ, until he returns again in great glory to call us all home. That is our hope. And that's how we move forward in the love of the triune God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.